right. So uh, as I thought, and as I said last week, since the beginning of the year, we've been working on a theme about how do you get along and how do you become one with people that are genuinely uh, coming from a very different place than you are. And how do you do that? And uh, I thought last week that that was pretty much the climax of what God wanted to say, and it appears it is. And this week he's given me a sermon that takes us to the next place in this journey back to Jerusalem in the final days of Jesus' life. But I just want to say that because I want to, if you didn't get a chance to hear last week's sermon, please go get it, okay? It's real easy to get. You can go to our website, you can go to Vimeo, you can go to iTunes, you can go anywhere and find it, okay? But bottom line, it's an important sermon for us, okay? This week... In that, in that way that God does where he takes things deeper and deeper. By the way, congratulations for being here this morning. And, and if, if I'm, you know, okay, you get commendation for that. If you're streaming, God bless you too. But, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, Lord meet us today. Because this is a really important moment. And I just want to do something with you. I want you to consider this question. Okay, what's the single most important thing that you need God to do in your life? In other words, where do you personally need God to rescue you? Now notice something. This is not the Miss America prayer for world peace. Okay, I'm not asking for, that's a perfectly lovely, wonderful, and appropriate prayer to pray. Thank God for it. But bottom line, I'm not asking for that. I'm asking where do you need to be rescued? Where's the area in your life? Now, some people, when they hear that question, they're going to say, do I have to stick with one? You know, I got 10, right? But I'm asking you to do something here today. I'm asking you to reduce that down to the one. Because there's something that God's going to do with that one thing today and for the next three weeks. So I'm asking you to really narrow it down. Now, if you're the kind of person that's saying, gee, I don't really have anything I need to be rescued from, I'm doing fine, I'd ask you to do something, and we're going to do this in one second, where you're going to kind of pray and consider what's that single thing. I'm going to ask you to really ask the Lord what he would bring to your heart. A lot of times, you know, there's a place that we need to be rescued, but we've become so comfortable with the status quo that we don't really even think about it hardly anymore. It's an issue, but we, it's not, we don't make it something right? We just kind of move on. So and that, that, there's still maybe somebody who's in here that's just doing so well that you don't have any place you need to be rescued, in which case, God bless you, and would you lay hands on all the rest of us, okay? Uh, but you see what I'm doing, and I'm asking you to actually just close your eyes for a moment here, and I'm asking you f to ask the Holy Spirit, ask the Lord, what's the one area, not all the areas, but the, what's the one area that you would have me do this thing that we're going to be doing now and over the weeks, what is that one thing that I need you to rescue me? Okay, so take a minute. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, this is a perfect time to Ask that same question. This is very much for you too. Okay, does everybody have something? Did something rise up in your heart? Now I want you to 
reach down into your, into here, and, and you'll see this in front of you. Okay, there's a three by five card. Now always remember in this congregation, because I'm a bit of a entrepreneurial lone wolf, there's always a lot of people who, when I say to do something, you just don't do it. Can I say, you're gonna want to have done this because there's a lot more coming because of what you're doing by writing this down. So I'm just asking you to just trust me for even like 15 seconds, okay? And, and just take it and just write down what's that one thing and just write it down, okay? Okay, there you go. Now, if it's private and that sort of thing, just fold it up, okay? Or even if it's not, just fold it up. Don't look at each, <coughs> don't look at each other's homework. <coughs> All right, we good? You got it? All right, everybody hold it up. You got it? All right, now, what we're gonna be doing today is God's gonna tell you what to do about this. What's even better, God's gonna tell you why. And the why has more to do with this by far as always. The things that God is doing with us in the objective always have a much deeper spiritual point and purpose to it, right? So that's what we're going to be doing today. Who's our prayer? Bruce? Oh, that is awesome. Where are you, Bruce? Oh, there you are. So if, <laughs> let me put it this way. If you don't know Bruce, you're just missing out on life, okay? This is the man, you know what I mean? I keep, I, I just, your accent, your personality, your heart, Everything is just so vivacious and bubbling and everything else. You are such a blessing. Does ushering all the time, everything else. Love you. Pray for the sermon. Lift up another church. Checks in the mail, Kurt. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity, Heavenly Father. Um, the list uh, went from 20 to 10 to 1. And um, the one thing that uh, is foremost in my mind at the moment is to say thank you to the folks in the uh, military who um, stand uh, guard, make it possible for us to have peace, uh, meet in a place like this without looking over our shoulders, having guards uh, positioned at the doors. Uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. Uh, we've got folks here um, in the congregation uh, who are retired, uh, even some of them went to the academies. Uh, we're thankful for um, their service, the families, uh, the extended families, sons and daughters. Um, and um, it's my privilege to be able to say thank you to all those folks. Thank you, families. Jesus. Um, I'm um, going to ask for prayer this morning for a um, little church in uh, Western New York, in Akron Methodist Church. Um, has been there for a long time, and a uh, nice place to get together. So um, thank you for the safety that um, we enjoy here at this church, in this uh, town, in this country. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, and uh, give Kurt the words. Uh, thank you, Lord. Here this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. All right. Now, where we are is we're on this final journey from the north, coming on down. We go all the way down. There's just a, we're having a little power problem, so forgive the 
waviness. But we're coming down, and you see at the very bottom here where you make that strong, depending on how you want to look up, but that strong turn to the west. But, and then you see Jericho. When we hit Jericho, that line turns a different color because we're literally within days of his death at this point in time. Now, there's still a lot of stories to be had in this little segment here, but we're just outside of Jericho at this point in time, and we're coming on the home stretch, as you can see, okay? And what, the reason why I bring that up is because that means the things that he's saying are particularly important because they are the last things that he's saying to them, the last things that he's driving home, the last things that he wants ringing in their heads and hearts and ears and minds when he then isn't there anymore, which they still don't get, but they're going to remember it at that point in time. They're going to say, what were those things that he did? And they're going to record them for us as we're looking at right now. So the bottom line is, is I want you to think about, this is somewhat important, I want you to think about where we were last week, and in particular this part of it. It goes like this. The days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They'll say to you, look there, look here, don't follow or run after them. I'll return one day, but first I, he, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Could you guys do me a favor? Could you pull that a little bit over? I know I'm the one that set it up that way, but would you make it a little bigger so I can read it from there? I don't have to turn around quite as much. Thank you. Ah, see, you're awesome. Okay, a little bigger still. Remember, think about the age. <laughs> there you go. Could you make it like 20 by 20? Okay. Now, so, so the thing he's saying is, I'm not going to be there. You don't get it. You don't know it. You're not getting it. I've told you. I'm going to tell you again, but you don't get it. I'm not going to be there. You're going to long for that day. And then he goes to the next thing that he, that he says, and this is what we're looking at today. Then he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect man. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he was unwilling, for a while he was unwilling, let me try to do it this way, I just can't read it that well. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay to help them? Will he? Okay, I get no in theology. But you've had something in your life that you've pressed into. Right? You've pressed in and it didn't seem like. And what do you do? So will he delay to help them? I tell you, he will swiftly grant them justice. Okay? Now, the thing that I want us to get a hold of is, is right here, Jesus has used a common rhetorical technique in Hebrew that has a particular Hebrew word name, but that's not important. But what it is, it says, if this, like this bad judge or this whatever, if this, how much more so would God? See what I mean? If somebody like this would do that, how much more so will God? See it? Now there's a place where that technique is used rhetorically, and the content of what he's saying in that place is exactly the same as this content. Anybody know where that is? What's that? Yeah, exactly right. So here we go. And so I tell you, keep on asking, you will receive what you ask for. 
Keep on seeking. Where's the wording here? Where's, remember, Jesus doesn't repeat himself except for purpose. He's now not just repeating himself on the keep on. He's repeating himself in terms of the, what he's saying to them to do. So he's saying, keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks the door will be open. You fathers, if you ask your children for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? If they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See it? So there's this idea, but now watch. This is Luke 9 through 13. What's the scripture that immediately precedes this? It's another scripture that is identical to the one that we're looking at right now. It's in Luke. It's two different times that he said this. And again, he's repeating himself for emphasis, not verboseness. And so watch. This is the, the stuff that comes right before this. Then, teaching them more about what? Remember what our missionaries were talking about? We did something. We actually tried prayer. And guess what? Oh my gosh, it worked. I'm going to say something right now, and I want you to get a hold of something. I think that God is going to give people an opportunity to experience something in prayer that they have not. I think that we're in a moment of time when God is trying to teach us to pray. And when he's first doing that, he will do things extraordinarily. Ultimately, he wants it to go into the realm of absolute faith, so it needs to get to a deeper place. But I think that we're in a moment of time right now that is incredibly important for us to grab a hold of. And that is that I think right now, if you ask the Lord for something, watch what he does. Okay? Now, he's going to say, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. Suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of what? Shameless persistence. Now, tie, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> Where am I looking? I am not. Now watch, shameless persistence. Does that sound a little bit like what he said in this other parable? Right? Persistent coming, okay? Pestering me. What, what is God trying to tell us here? What's he trying to tell us? What's he trying to do? What's he telling us to do in prayer? Keep going is the nice way of putting it. That's not what the word pester means. Pester means bug me. Nobody wants people to bug them. When's the last time you said to somebody, would you please pester me? Did you? Have you? Ever? I gotta tell you, I do every once in a while. And here's when. I really want something to happen. I know that my life is busy and I'm saying, would you please bug me about this because this is super important to me and other things are gonna come in and get ahead of this thing and I don't want them to. Now, God and me are totally different. We all understand that one. <laughs> super, super simple, right? So God doesn't have that same problem, but he does have that same spirit. He's saying us to do something. He's saying, I want you to bug me. I want you to bug me. Why? It's not because he's old and forgetful, and it's not because he can't keep his priorities straight. Why is he saying bug me? Anybody got an answer? Just yell it out. 
I'm trying to get us a little more participatory since I know everybody's just slightly zoned, okay? So if you participate, you'll be more into where the revelation's gonna come from today. Why would he, why would he say, bug me? I love that. So we get used to it so that, yeah, so that it bugs us too, so that we get, yeah, that's lovely. Anybody else? Yeah, well, but give me what that means. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. One more. We hold out hope by staying the course. This is all, this is all great. Go ahead, I'll do one more. I love that. To keep us familiar with him, to keep him familiar with him so that we're continually connecting and so on. I, I really do need to quit. I know there's a lot more answers, but Sandy, I'm going to let you go just because anytime you want to do anything, I'll let you. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think you're. I think you're really all of these, but th that progression right there is really diving deep. Let me put it this way, okay? God gave us free will. Now, always remember something. Whenever we talk about free will, there's always two sides of a paradox that we're talking about, and we have to keep them both in our mind at the same time, or you will get unweighted to one side or the other, and you'll mess up. But always remember something. God is absolutely sovereign, meaning he has predestined everything, even your next breath. Okay? So he's in control of everything, and he set it all up, and he orchestrated it, and he, he said it's going to happen, and so on. That's good Calvinism. There's a lot of truth in that. We always have to remember it as one side of a paradox. But on the other side of the paradox, we have to remember something that is just as real, and you can't reduce the truth of either one of them in order to get a compromise. The truth is, is he also gave us free will. And this is totally contradictory. A paradox means two things that are contradictory, okay? But they're not actually contradictory. That's what a paradox means. There's, we can't resolve it. You cannot resolve predestination and free will. But you have to keep the truth of both of them. And we're right now working on the free will side of things. And here's what I want to say. Watch this. God gave you free will. He has a will, doesn't he? God has a will of what would happen. On the predestination side, he just makes it happen. On the free will side, here's what he does. I've given you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will have been. In fact, let's look at that scripture here. Because I want you to see something about free will. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is when they come, you know, he comes to the disciples, says, who do people say that I am? Oh, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're the prophet coming again. Who do you say that I am? Peter answers, you're Christ, son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjonah. Blessed blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be, but also is already. Now those are two different things. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. In other words, I bind this and now it's bound in heaven. All is already means it was already bound in heaven and now I'm binding it on earth. Those are two different things, aren't they? The verb cannot be resolved. The verb means both things. 
Well, how's that work? Well, the way that God intended it to work. Because he meant both things. Whatever you, whatever you bind on earth will be is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be is already loosed in heaven. Here's what's being said, real simple. When you bind something, is that what binds it in heaven? Yeah, that's what it says. But no, that's not what it says. What it says is, is that it's already been bound, and now you're just doing what already is in heaven. Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. See? But so which one of those is true? See, we would like to resolve that tension in favor of the, you know, it's already been bound. And so now I'm hearing what he's doing and I'm binding it. And I want to say, if you're going to land on one side of this, land on that side. Because it's critical that what we do in life is get a hold of what his will is and then we execute his will. Right? It's not your will be done, it's his will be done. Right? But let me say something. You have a role. And that particular way of understanding that verse, to resolve that tension in that way only, takes the importance, the criticalness. Is it true or not? And the answer is yes and no. What would happen on earth if we did not bind or pray for that? What would happen? If you want to do predestination, well, God still has his will. Well, then how important are you really? If you take it the free will side, here's what's being said. It doesn't happen if you don't want it. Let me just, let me just push this side, because you've got to push the truth of paradoxes in order to get to the truth of them and hold on to the deeper truth that's in them. So let me push the truth of that for a second. I really mean something here, and I mean you to hear it. God is saying, I have a will for this world. I created it. I could have orchestrated it all, which again, I'm arguing he did, but he, right? But the bottom line is, is what he's saying is he's saying, but I gave you real free will. And what I'm asking for is, is do you understand what my will is? Do you know what my heart is? And if you do, do you want it? Will you be an instrument for choosing on behalf of mankind my will, not the collective human will. To see it, not the rebellious human will, not the one that chooses things that are other than God. Do you understand what we are? When he says you're salt to preserve, your light such as to show, this is what he's talking about. We're supposed to be the ones who are pressing into God all the time saying, what is your will? And then we say, we want this to happen. And when we make that choice, we give God the right to come and do what he wants to the degree that he's given that right to us. You see it? So what happens if we don't exercise it? Right? Does his will get done? Again, we're in paradox land, okay? But I need you to get a hold of the truth of what's being said, and I want us to understand this. When we pray for something, therefore, now understand, there's lots of different kinds of prayer, right? The one that, is, the one that I talk about all the time here is devo prayer, where what, it's really, prayer is not even the right word. It's just talking with God about whatever. 
right, going on a walk or being in your closet or whatever, and you're just fellowshipping with God, right? But when it comes time to pray in the more formal sense of the word, to pray for something, to pray through something, to take his will and make it proclaimed in the earth, there's two stages of it. The first stage is how God is asking us to pray. Initially, what's your will, Lord? Our first prayer about anything, including healing, by the way, and I know that that may struggle, some people may struggle with that theologically, but in anything, our first thing ought to be, what do you want me to pray? What do you want to have happen here? I'm your instrument for doing your will, not mine. So what's your will? See? And then, but ultimately, then we speak into existence God's desire, his will. Whose image are we made into? Right, God's. Now, what is it that God did at the very beginning? He spoke, and that's what brought it to pass. Here's what God's asking us to do as his agents, his ambassadors, made in his image. He's saying, find my will and speak it so that it will. See that? Do you see it? I want you to speak it into existence. I want you to speak it into this world. I want you to speak my will into this world that I would do the same act with it that I did when I said, let there be light, and there was light. See it? So all of a sudden prayer, this kind of prayer, is kind of taking on a little different soul spirit, isn't it? Than what we normally pray. Because here's how we normally pray. God, if it's your will. See? God, whatever you want, just let me know. Well, that's a good prayer to start with. But where do we end with? Do we get a revelation about what it is or do we just stop with whatever you want, Lord? He's wanting more than that from us. This is starting to get to pestering, right? This is starting to get to the revelation that comes from pestering. When you're pressing in, it starts to inform you about what he wants. And then you start speaking it. You start bringing it. In fact, he wants you to speak it with authority. Watch this. Okay, this is an example of what this passage means in its first iteration. There's a second iteration, which I think is deeper and more important for what we're doing today. But you remember where we started with the, with the passages today? The first thing we noted was Jesus said, there's going to come a day when you're going to long to see me again. And so I'm telling you, don't get discouraged about praying, but be like this person that continues to bug. Here's what he's saying. God is asking us to be the ones who faithfully and steadfastly, persistently pressing into him, pressing into him, sorry, to come again. And this is revelation. This is the last words in the whole Bible. You think God wanted us to remember those words? You think he closed with something big? What did he close with? The spirit and the bride say, who's the bride? So what are we supposed to be saying? Come. Let anyone, what's that mean? Jesus, Come. Back, again, second coming. Let anyone who hears us say, come. He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, Jesus meaning, yes, I am coming soon. And then we say, amen, so be it. That's what that means. Come, Lord Jesus. You see it? 
So here's what the last words of the Bible are, the ones that are supposed to be ringing in our ears, the, the prayer that we're supposed to be praying faithfully, even bugging him about. What is it? Jesus to come back. So let me ask this question. When was the last time that you prayed for that? And I don't mean this. Oh my God, my life sucks so bad. This is such a horrible thing that was happening. Please, Jesus, just come back. That's totally not what we're talking about here, okay? We're not talking about that moment. We're talking about a faithful, that was really funny, Pam. <laughs> uh, we're talking about a faithful and persistent prayer that says, come. You remember how somebody said it earlier? Keep saying it until it starts bugging you too. Right? It should be something we should be saying all the time. Come, Lord. Look at what's going on. Come, Lord. We need you to come, Lord. See? Do you see it? So that's the first sort of layer. Let's go to layer two. I want you to think about this. That passage does not just mean Jesus is coming again because if we were to read through that passage again, I won't take the time, but if we were to read through that passage again, it's not really talking about coming again. It's referred to and it's connected to, but here's what it's talking about. Somebody that something bad has happened to. Do you remember in the first, the other one that we looked at in Luke 11? That was you asking the Lord for somebody else. That's really good, right? But here he's saying there's something wrong with your life. There's something not right in your life. And what he's saying is, resist that. <laughs> Stand up against it. Don't, don't be the lobster in the pot that just gets boiled to death. Be the kind of person who's saying, this is not right. You said quickly. I'm not accusing you of not being quick. I'm just saying I'm standing on the promise that you said quickly. I need you to come, Lord. I need, I need you to come, not just in the second coming, but I need you to come now, in this moment about this thing. This is something that isn't right. You need to restore it. You need to bring it back to the perfection and the way that you created it to be. You see that? I, I wish... I don't know when we're going to get to do this, and, and, but I think God's going to let me do it. Uh, so I want to go through and show you how David prays in Psalms. Because David could be accused of impudence. He could be accused, in fact, of accusing God of stuff. <laughs> and I'm never going to recommend that you accuse God of anything. But I am going to recommend that you have the same thing in your heart because he said David's heart was after his, that you'd be the same kind of person that David was, that you'd stand up in front of the Lord and say, but you said... Do you see it? Does that sound a little bit like what he means by bug me? Does that sound a little bit like what he means when he says there's a world that has free will and I'm asking you to express yours repeatedly, continually, persistently? See? In fact, let me say it this way. C.S. Lewis, in talking about the ways that we pray to God, notes something that's important for us. Don't bother about the idea that God has known for millions of years exactly how you're about to pray. What good does prayer do if God knows everything and God orchestrated everything? What good does it really do? Right? And Lewis had a lot of this kind of theology in him. Okay? This isn't what it's like. God is hearing you. Now watch this. Now. 
just as simply as a mother hears a child. The difference his timelessness makes is that this now, which slips away from us even when we say the word now, because I can't say the word now except that it's already gone, right? The act of saying it makes it go away, or it's already passed, see? And what he says is, is for him infinite. If you must think of his timelessness at all, don't think of him having looked forward to this moment for millions of years. Think that to him you are always praying this prayer. Isn't that good? You see what he's asking you to do? Keep it before him. It's always before him. You could say, based on this, you could say, well, pray once and then it's always before him. But what happens if it's before him a thousand times? I'm not the bad father, and I'm not the evil judge. I'm the one who is asking you to do something based on free will, based on who I am. I'm asking you to step up, stand up. I'm asking you to press in. I'm asking you to get faithful. I'm asking you to do these things. And we could say, why? But let me just take you to here. Now this is the confidence that we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears, we know that he hears, and if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. You see that? Do we have this in our hearts? In fact, let me take it another one. Now watch what Jesus does. This is, this is one of the funniest prayers Jesus ever prays, by far. They roll the stone aside for Lazarus, right? He's dead, and they roll the stone aside. It's going to stink, but no, roll the stone. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Now watch this. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I just wanted them to know. I wanted them to believe that it was really you that was doing this and that they would believe that you sent me, that you were working, that you were the one doing this through me. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. Do you hear the authority? He's saying, I already knew that God heard me. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, I already knew that you wanted to raise him, Lord. That's not, it's, you can argue that. But what he's saying is, is when I prayed it, you heard it, it was according to your will, and so you did it. And I knew that you were going to do it, and I stood in authority on it, and I called it into being. And then he walks out. So, you know, there's that. If you don't know what to pray for, remember there's the two steps. The first step is find out what his will is. The second step is speak it, pray it, stand on it. If you don't know what to pray for, as you ought, well, then we've got a perfect word for that too because it says this. In the same way the Spirit joins us to help us in our weaknesses. We do not know what to pray for as we should. We don't know what to pray for, and we don't know how to pray for it. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groaning. He who searches the hearts, that's God, knows the Spirit's mindset because the Spirit interceded for the saints according to the will of God. You see it? So you don't know how to pray for something, just pray in the Spirit. Ask him, how do I pray for this? Groaning's too deep for words. I don't know what to pray. God, reveal it to me. Pray in the Spirit. God reveals it to you. Now you know what to pray. Now pray it. 
This is really complicated stuff. But let's take it to some cool places. Jesus comes, you know, our parable that we just did isn't done. You know how it ends? You don't want to know the last sentence of what it says? It says this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You hear what he's saying? Is there anybody that's going to be bugging me about the things I care about? Are you going to be bugging me about all the things that you want and you care about? What are people going to be doing? Think about this for a second. What are we... Will there be the kind of faith that says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it'll be done. Is that what we're going to have? This is not you interior decorating. This is you speaking to the things that are in your life and others' lives that are not right. They're not what God intended. They're not what God wants. They're not what he desires. Are you going to be the kind of person who's going to step up and say to those mountains, be gone? Are we? The first level of this is what we've been talking about. We're in the first level. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we've been talking about this whole time. And at this point in time, I could quit the sermon and we should be good. That should be enough to motivate every single one of us to, to start bugging him, to start praying faithfully, to start pressing in for the things that we need and others need, to start pressing into the things that are God, right? But let me not end there. Let me end with a prize, the Cracker Jack prize in the box. The Cracker Jacks were good enough but then there's a prize, and it's a lot better than a cheap plastic thing, or now a cheap, really cheap sticker, okay? This is the Babylonian exile. This happens in Daniel's day, okay? What's happening is the Jews, the most important people have been taken out of Jerusalem, Judah, and they're being taken to Babylon. And one of them is a guy named Daniel. And he finds favor and so on. But one of the things he remembers is, is you know what, there's something that was supposed to happen back there. And now we're gone from there. So God, you promised, what are you doing? In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel had another vision. And when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. Mourning. Let me, let me paraphrase that. Something had distressed me. Something had got a hold of me and was racking me. And the thing it was, was as you said something was going to happen over there, and now we're over here, and how can that happen anymore? What are you doing? This has got me. When this vision came to me, I Daniel had been mourning three whole weeks. At the time, I'd eaten no rich food, no, no meat or wine crossed my lips. I'd used no fragrant lotions until those weeks had passed. On April 23rd, I love that. <laughs> On April 23rd. And that's what day it was. As I was standing on the bank of the Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. Just notice the power in this. 
His body looked like precious gem. His face flashed with lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and his feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like the vast multitude of people. This is the kind of thing that would weaken Daniel. And in fact, he says, it weakened me. It, it undid me. But now watch what this guy says, this angel. Then I heard the man speak. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince kingdom of Persia. Are the things that you're praying for that are God's will going to be resisted? Are they? Right? So all the more reason to press in, right? This is not a joke anymore. All of a sudden, you're starting to see, wow, there's resistance against these things, and we don't have to go into angels and demonology and stuff. This is enough information for us. We know that the things that we're praying that are God's will are going to be resisted. So the question becomes for this congregation, are you going to be a Friday night Christian when Jesus dies, we're going to collapse and assemble because God didn't answer the prayer that we needed him to answer in the timing that we needed him to answer it? Or are we going to be Sunday morning Christians who press in and get a hold of the deeper thing that God is doing? Get a hold of the resurrection. Get a hold of the miracle. Get a hold of what God was doing the whole time. Again, let me just give you. He then told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. You see what this whole thing is about? Keep praying. And so the question starts becoming, how bad do we want it? Do you really want it? Let me give you a beautiful reason to want it. Why would God set up prayer to be like this? What's the deeper reason why he's doing it this way? Why is he doing this? When we have to contend most deeply and most faithfully, we get the deepest and richest revelations about him. If every time you pray, God simply answers your prayer, what does he become? Yeah, a vending machine. Put in your dollar or get back your prize. Get back your thing that you wanted right? But what happens when you're like Paul and you have spent your life pressing in, being resisted, being a Sunday morning Christian, believing that God had a purpose that was beyond being beaten, beyond being exiled, beyond being persecuted, beyond all of this. What happens when you keep pressing in, when you keep pressing in? when you be persistent, when you be the kind of person who's learned how to be persistent in all things, what happens? This is where you get to. We know that God causes everything to work together goes for, those, for, for the good of those who love God and call according to his purpose for them. Right? Paul didn't say this as some just momentary thought. Paul said this because over and over and over he'd been resisted and then God did something. And then he'd been resisted, and then God did something. And every time God did something, the something that he did was better even than what Paul wanted. So Paul is the one who, being the kind of prayer that's a Sunday morning prayer, came to know God, who God was. That's what we're really going after here. 
The reason why God set it up for us to be persistent and bug him about prayer is because the more that we bug him and the harder we go after it, when he brings the revelation, the more it's a revelation to us about who he is. And in fact, that's exactly what Paul says right after this verse. It's because he says it this way. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, nor the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so my question to you is, is do you want to know God this way? <laughs> Does that sound like a good idea? Well, if it is, then pick up your piece of paper. Okay? Again? Okay? Pick this piece of paper up and get your phone out. Okay? Now, again, I know you're a little tired. I can see it in faces and everything else. I tried to go a little slower today than normal so I wouldn't just lose everybody on the turns, okay? Spoke slower, and I tried to be, and I know everybody's tired and all this. It's a little hot in here, so. But bottom line, would you do me a favor? I need you to pull out your phone right now. This is that time you really want to pay attention, and you really want to actually do this, okay? Pull out your phone, and if you have an iPhone, look for the app Reminders. You can do this on your calendar, too. If you have an Android phone, you want to look for S-Voice, which has reminders in it. So too on a Windows phone, it's Cortana, and it has reminders in it. And just look for the reminders thing. And I don't see very many people doing this. So get, get your smartphone out. I'm telling you, we're going to do something here. Here's what I want you to do. How many times a day did Daniel pray? Morning, noon, and night, right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, basically. And then I'm asking you, there's a one-fourth one. I only want you to record three a day, but I want you to remember right before you go to sleep at night to do one more. And here's what I want you to do. Just on your reminder, just open up your phone, open up a reminder, and just say, every day you see the ones on the reminder, 8 a.m., you can set it for 8 a.m., and then you can tell it to repeat for 21 days. So just put down the two or three words on the prayer that'll remind you what to pray, okay? I love that. And then, and then put it in there and then make one and have it go for 21 days because on April 2nd, by the way, that's when that is, April 2nd, okay? That's when you want it to end. And for 21 days, we're gonna press into God morning, noon, and night about this. About this thing. If you don't have your phone here, write it down and please put it in your computer. Put it somewhere where it's gonna remind you Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, morning, noon, night. Okay? I'm giving you some time to get it done. Okay? I know if I tell everybody to do this after you leave, it doesn't happen. <laughs> okay? If you want to turn down your sound and volume, you could do that. <laughs> That's a way of doing this. But you see it? Morning, noon, and night. Make three of them. Three different ones. Reminders. Like I say, you can put it in your calendar if that's easier for you, if you know how to do that better. Okay, morning, noon, and night, 21 days. I'm just stalling right now. Okay, and Pam, you're coming up in just a sec. All right. Just so that we don't bore everybody to death, we're going to go ahead and move on. But do you, hear, do you get what we're doing here? 
three times, morning, noon, and night for 21 days. Just remind yourself. And what I want you to do is before you eat, your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner, and right before you go to sleep, pray about this. I'm not talking about you having to pray about it for an hour. Smith Wigglesworth has a great quote. They said, how, how long do you pray? And he said, I never pray more than 20 minutes. I just pray for real for those 20 minutes. Now, I'm not saying you have to pray 20 minutes at those three times. I'm saying you take a couple of minutes and you really press in. What do you want me to pray for? That's the first part of it, right? And then the second part of it is, you know, speak that into existence. This is what you want. What do you want me to pray? How do you want me to pray for it? There you go, all right? And I think we're good enough so here's what we're gonna do right now. Pam, could you come up? And right before we do communion and offering, we're gonna start right now. And we're gonna take three minutes, two minutes, three minutes. I don't know, as long as it takes, as long as when, when the Spirit says stop. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to start praying that prayer. Start praying the Spirit. What do you want me to pray for? And then declare it. Speak it. Remember what I said at the very beginning. I think there's a window here of opportunity for us to learn something about prayer. That's what God's trying to teach us now in this season. Okay? So just with a little background music, just pray. It says with prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known. The thanks.
thanksgiving. Make your requests be made known. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm asking you, Lord, not just to teach us how to pray here. I'm asking you to teach us how to bug you. Teach us how to be genuinely persistent. The kind of people who pray through things and cause things to happen in this world, which would not absent you teaching us to be faithful, stand in the gaps, cry out the things of your will and heart. In Jesus' holy and precious name, your kingdom come and your will be done. our reminders remind us 21 days we're not going to do all the other stuff that will probably come later but right now we're just going to press in in prayer in Jesus holy and precious name thank you Lord we take this cup in front of us it's right in front of you us to help you remember this. The offering's coming around in two seconds. Pull out this green thing, would you? And give us permission. We will, we will not send a reminder to you by email or text unless you tell us to. But if you would like us to help you remember, we will. Not three times a day, just once. So fill this out, would you? And just drop it in the offering that's coming around in two seconds. Okay, like I say, we'd get permission. We wouldn't spam you otherwise. Lord Jesus, holy and precious name, we lift up this cup in which is the life that we have lost, broken, because we failed to be persistent. We failed to be Sunday morning Christians. We failed to pray through. And so we take our finger in there knowing what we have done and we break it. And now in Jesus' most spectacular name, God, we lift this cup unto the cross. We just picture Jesus taking this brokenness upon himself and healing it utterly, making us whole, making us one. In Jesus' holy and precious name, heal us, Lord. Lift your cup and receive. And now in Jesus' surpassing name, there's a life that you've ordained for us since before the foundations of the world. A work that you have asked us to do and be, and be. And we're saying, God, we want that. We're proclaiming, we're speaking into existence that life, not the one that we've lived. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, knowing it's already there waiting for us, we say, God, make that life ours. Say that as you take this cup. Thank you, Lord. Ushers, could you come forth?